0: If you would, Luke chapter 18. That's where we're going to be at. That's where we were last week. So if you haven't read your Bible all week, you should still be marked there. No, no that was a joke. Okay. Um, Luke chapter 18. I'm going to connect kind of where we, where we are this morning with sort of where we've been. Um, so if you weren't here last week, I'm going to try and you'll get a little synopsis. But um so last week we, uh, if you're with us, if, if you remember, we looked at Jesus' interaction with uh, what was the rich young ruler is what Luke calls him, right? This, uh, and the, kind of the gist of that story is um, this man comes to Jesus asking for eternal life, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, and long story short, Jesus sort of uses a scalpel and kind of draws out the thing that, that kept this man from receiving eternal life, uh, was his, his riches, his possessions. All right, so you've got this rich young ruler who is essentially blinded by his wealth, his possessions, his money, his, his riches. That's what blinded him from, uh, from experiencing, receiving eternal life. That's what blinded him from receiving the mercy that, that Jesus uh, was to extend to him. Uh, and then if you hit rewind and you back up a little bit, further into chapter 18. We didn't preach on this. I referenced it briefly last week. Uh, but there's another parable that Jesus teaches in Luke 18, a little further back. Uh, in, in a parable, if you're not familiar with it, just a story that Jesus tells to kind of prove a point. And in his parable, there's uh, a Pharisee. Uh, and, and the Pharisee, in the context of that parable, parable, parable I'll get it out in a second, uh, in the context of that parable, he, he misses out on eternal life uh, because he's blinded by his own self-righteousness. Right? He thinks that he's got it all together. His trust is in himself. He's, uh, he doesn't need anything else. And, and so what you've got here is you've got the rich young ruler blinded by his wealth, his possessions. You've got the parable in the, or the, I'll get it right in a minute, the Pharisee in this parable uh, blinded by his own self-righteousness. And then what we're going to get to today is, uh, it's, it's a contrast because what we're going to find today is there's, there's a man who is not figuratively blind, but literally blind. Right? Blind, like physically cannot see blind. And, and yet what's going to happen here is, is this man is going to be the man that receives mercy. This man is going to be the one who receives eternal life. All right, it's, uh, he, he isn't well-to-do like the rich young ruler. He isn't uh, kind of this spiritually elite like the Pharisee. He's a blind man that brings nothing to the table other than a physical disability, and yet he's the one that's going to receive mercy, healing, physical and spiritual transformation. So now that I've spoiled the story for you, let's read it. All right, Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 35. It says, As he drew near to Jericho, that's Jesus, A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So here's we're introduced to a blind man, physically blind, unable to see Right? we don't know if he's been blind uh, from birth. You know, the text kind of makes you believe that that maybe he could see at one point. It's talking about recovering his sight, but either way, we don't know how long this man's been blind. We just know he's blind, right? And and because of that, he was. Uh, if we could sum it up, he is, he is desperate and dependent, right? Desperate in the sense that uh, right, he's he's given himself to a life of begging. That's where we meet him. He's right outside uh, the city gates, and he's he's begging. Right, that's how he makes it from day to day is he's asking people, receiving uh, financial gifts or, or maybe donations of food. Right? His provisions come from other people. So he is quite literally dependent on them to meet, uh, to, to provide for his basic needs. Right? And then he's also uh, dependent just in, you, you see kind of this interaction that's happening. Jesus is coming to town and, uh, and this man, uh, he's kind of wondering, well, what's going on here? Right? He's, as one that's blind, he's probably, uh, sort of some of his other senses have been heightened a little bit. From my understanding, that's kind of what happens whenever you lose one of your senses. Your body almost like adapts. It's like, like God creates your body to adapt in certain ways. And so this man probably hears uh, some, some hustle and bustle of the crowd. Right? Maybe he feels the vibrations in the street as a, as a crowd is passing through. Uh, however he's aware of it, he knows that there is something going on. And so he calls out and he asks, what's, what's going on? He inquired what this meant, is what the text says. Right, he's, he's dependent not only on the crowd uh, to provide for him as they pass by day to day, but he's, he's dependent on the crowd to just let him know what's going on. So he asks, what does this mean? Uh, in verse 37 it says, And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. All right, now, that, That's how the crowd identified him. We're going to come back to that in a minute. So, when this blind man hears that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, look at, look at his response. Verse 38 it says, and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, quickly, relatively quickly, you guys have listened to me enough to know that I'm not that quick about anything. Um, but here's, there's a difference in these responses that, that if you can just read through it, you don't think about it. All right, but the way that the crowd reacts to Jesus showing up and the way that uh, the blind man reacts to, to hearing that Jesus has showed up are two very different things. And here's what I mean. First, the crowd identifies Jesus as what? Jesus of Nazareth. The blind man says, what's going on? The crowd says, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. All right, so, so really, all that they're doing is saying, this is Jesus, he is from the town of Nazareth. They identify him kind of based on his geological, not geological, geographical. That's why I shouldn't be tutoring kids, man. Uh, (laughs) They they identify him based on his sort of geographical, uh, that's his identity, Jesus of Nazareth, right? Jonas of Somerset. Or in Kentucky, we like counties for some reason. We identify ourselves by our counties, so Jonas of Pulaski, um, which is not eastern Kentucky, for those of you who think it might be. Um, it's just further east of here, but it's not eastern Kentucky. That's a different world, okay? Um, sorry, sidetracked. You're not surprised by that. Jesus of Nazareth. That's how they identify him. All right, but the blind man, what does he say? All right, he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is coming, and so he calls out, Jesus, son of David. All right. now that's a significant difference from Jesus of Nazareth. All right, because to say uh Son of David, that has like some, some Old Testament messianic implications. That's a big word. Basically, uh, this blind man knows, at least in some capacity, that, that this Jesus is the Messiah. Right? He calls him Son of David. Right? He's, like Last week, the rich young ruler referred to Jesus as good teacher, which is a sign of respect, but it still fell short of, of who Jesus was. But this blind man, for, for his blindness, I don't know if we've we always heard stories, if he's heard the accounts of how Jesus heals and restores and tells dead people they can't be dead anymore and calm storms. Like we don't know how he knows who Jesus is, but somehow he knows who Jesus is. And he calls him son of David. Right, he, he has an awareness that, that this Jesus is the long-awaited, long-promised uh, Messiah sent from God. Right? So that's the first thing. But then look at uh, kind of the expectations between the difference in expectations between the crowd and, and this man. The crowd says that Jesus is he's passing by. Jesus, son of Nazareth, is, is passing by. In other words, they didn't really have any expectations of Jesus. Right? The crowd's like, yeah, Jesus is, is passing through. He's probably got somewhere else to be. He's got something else to do. Um, he, we're just a dot on the map. Right? They didn't expect Jesus to stop and do anything. They didn't expect Jesus to, to make a big scene. Maybe they're just hoping to get a wave as he passes by, right? Jesus of Nazareth is, is passing by. But, but that's not what the blind man was expecting, right? Because he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Or Because this blind man knows in some capacity that, that Jesus is the Messiah, he's expecting something. It's like... This Jesus, because he is the Messiah, right, he's able to heal. He's able to, right, as the Messiah, here's what he, this is a little conjecture, but what he likely would have known, if he knows he's the Messiah, then he's familiar with the Old Testament prophecies. And, and there's a million of them, right? But, but specifically Isaiah talks a lot about how this, uh, the, the Lord would be the one who would uh, open the eyes of the blind, right? cause the deaf to hear, make the lame to walk. And so if this blind man has already equated Jesus with this, this prophesied Messiah from the Old Testament, then he probably knows, like, wait a second, this is the man who's going to make the, the blind able to see. And so to him, Jesus is not just passing by. To him, he's like, no, Jesus can do what I need him to do. And so he, cr- he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So you got the, the response of the crowd. you got the response of the blind man, and they're two very different things. right? The, the biggest difference just has to do with faith. The crowd believed that Jesus of Nazareth was just passing by, but the blind beggar believed that, that Jesus was the Messiah. Right? The, the crowd didn't believe that Jesus, they didn't expect Jesus to really do anything. The blind man believed that Jesus was, could do anything. And that's why he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Right? So he's, he's bold right, in his request to Jesus, but he's also persistent. Right, if you look at verse 39, it says, uh, as he cried out for, for mercy, it says, and those who were in front of the crowd, they rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, Have mercy on me. Right? So I've already um, referenced a couple of characters from Luke 18 already. And and again, this is not one we preached on. But if you go even further back into Luke 18, you would find another parable. And in this parable, Jesus is teaching about uh, this persistent widow who just brings her requests over and over and over again. And eventually her request is answered because she keeps asking. She's like the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. I, my kids don't read well. I think they've read this story at some point. Right? They just keep asking. Keep asking. Apparently, my youngest son asked a lot this morning to wear his Buzz Lightyear costume at church. So if you see little Buzz Lightyear running around here, it's because right, he was persistent. Right? But here's where I'm going with this. You've got the persistent widow who gets what she wants because she asked. And, and here you've got the, the blind man not only is he bold to ask for mercy, but he's persistent. Right? He, he cries out for Jesus to have mercy on him. The crowd turns around and says, Hey, hush, be quiet, be silent. And the text says that not, not only does he uh, just kind of ignore them, but it says he cries out all the more. Right? It was them telling him to be silent that was like, Oh, you think I'm loud now? And right? he cries out all the more and begs for mercy. Right. He, just to summarize, right here's, here's what's going on in this, in this encounter between the crowd, between the man. Right? You've got this man who has faith in, in who Jesus is. He's not just Jesus of Nazareth. He's Jesus, the son of David, the long-awaited Messiah. You've got this man who has faith in, in what Jesus was able to do. All right, that's why he cries out for mercy. Jesus is able to heal. He's able to restore. He's able to, to bring mercy. So he cries out for mercy. Um, and then you've got faith that's just persistent. Faith that's like, I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep asking. I'm not going to take no for an answer. All right. So you've got faith in who Jesus is, faith in what Jesus is able to do, uh, and faith that is persistent. All right. But... Uh, It's his persistence that Jesus takes notice of. So if you look at verse 40, it says, And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Now let's press pause here for a minute. Okay, several weeks ago, this is three, four, five weeks ago, I don't know at this point. Um, we were in Luke chapter 7, and we looked at this story of uh, Jesus is eating in this house with Simon the Pharisee, and the sinful woman comes in, and she's throwing herself at Jesus' feet. Uh, and, and in that story, there's this moment where the, Simon the Pharisee thinks to himself, he doesn't say it out loud, but he thinks to himself, if Jesus knew who this woman was, then he wouldn't be letting all this go on. And do you remember what happens? Like, Jesus addresses Simon the Pharisee's thoughts. Like, he never vocalizes it, never says anything out loud, but Jesus is like, hey, I know what you're thinking, let me go ahead and uh, address that. Right? And, and the reason I bring that up is because here Jesus asks a question. He, the, he brings the blind man front and center, puts him in the midst of the crowd, says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, I don't think that's because Jesus didn't know what the man needed. If Jesus can like read people's thoughts and answer their questions before they ask them, I don't think Jesus really needs to know exactly what this man needs. Right? Plus, just look at the obvious. There's a blind man in his midst. He knows what the man needs. So why would Jesus ask this question, Hey, what do you want me to do for you? Now, I would contend a couple things. Right? The first, I think Jesus is going to use this question, What do you want me to do for you? To sort of elicit... A response of faith from, from the man, uh, from the crowd that was around. We'll get to them a little more in just a second. Uh, from uh, a response of faith from even the, the audience that Luke was writing his, his letter to. They would read this story and this account and be like, wow, who is this Jesus? Right? Even to elicit a response of faith from us 2,000 years later on the other side of the world. We would read about Jesus and be like, Wow. This is what Jesus can do. So I don't think Jesus is asking the question as an inquiry, like you know, trying to figure out, like, I don't know, what does this man need? Right? He's asking it so that, that we would see exactly what this man is seeking, right? that we would know exactly what it is that this man asked for, so that the crowd would know exactly what this man asked for, so that when he answers it, right, it removes all doubt of who this Jesus is and what he's able to do. Right, so that when Jesus, this man says, hey, I want to recover my sight. Then when Jesus answers that and says, hey, your sight is recovered. Right, there's no doubt as to who this Jesus is. He is the promised Messiah. He is the one that gives sight to the blind. That's who he is. So I think he asked this question so that that we would respond in faith and, and have a, a clearer picture of who this Jesus is. But I don't think it's the only reason he asked the question. I think he also asked the question as an example for us. So that we can come to Jesus and tell him exactly what we need. Right? It, it, it's an invitation for us to come to him and say, Jesus, this is what I need. Right? Right? He's inviting us to make our requests to him. And here's, it, it reminds me of Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verse 16. This is what the author of Hebrews writes. It says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Right, so the, the Bible you know, elsewhere in Hebrews, teaches that that Jesus is constantly interceding for his people. Jesus is is at the right hand of the throne of God. He's constantly interceding for us. And so, because of that, we can come, bring our request to God with with boldness and with confidence. And that's what what Jesus does to this blind man. He, He invites him out of the crowd, out of anonymity, out of he pulls in front, center sets him in front of everyone and says, "What do you need as an example that we might come boldly to the Lord and say, Here's what I need Here's what I need. I bring it before you with boldness and confidence. to put it kind of flip it over like Jesus doesn't want us to come and make our requests with." Uh, he doesn't want us to come shy or sheepish sheepish, or with reservations. No, we're invited to come boldly. Right, we, we don't have to clean up or edit our requests. We just bring them. Say, this is where I'm at. This is what I need. Right? So you're invited to do this thing. Like, you're invited to bring your requests to Jesus. More on that in a minute. Let's finish up. Verses 42 and 43. All right, here's... Kind of what happens after the fact. Verse 42, it says, And Jesus said to him, recover, uh, recover your sight, your faith has made you well. Verse 43, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people. When they saw it, gave praise to God. So Jesus invites the man forward, he hears his request. Jesus heals him there, like right on the spot immediately. He goes from, from being blind to being able to see. right. And, and I've got some questions there. Just like, could you imagine that the first, who knows how long he's been blind? right? We, we don't know. But the first thing he sees is the one who healed him. Isn't that amazing? I was reading this week, this is not really in my notes, but it just came to me. I was reading this week about a woman who, uh, she's she actually a hymn writer. And they they posed the question to her. She was blind. She lost her eyesight, was blind most of her life. Uh, And and they posed this question to her. It had to do with, if if you could, if you could ask God to recover your sight, uh, would you do it? And her response paraphrased was basically no. No, because when I open my eyes in eternity, the first face I'm going to see is Jesus. Isn't that deep, man? (laughs) I wish I had that kind of faith. Right. Anyway, sorry, sidetracked. So Jesus hears this man's request. He commends the man's faith. He, he gives the man sight. Right? This man received the mercy and the healing he had so persistently asked for. And, and in a very literal sense, this man's faith had become sight. Right? That's what happens here. But, but the narrative doesn't end just with a healing. I mean, it could, and that would be an amazing story, right? But that's not the end of the story because it says... Uh, It says that he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. So not only was this man uh, moved from from being blind to being able to see, not only was he healed instantaneously, but but he also is is given a new pattern of life, a new walk of life. The days of begging outside of the city are over. He's following Jesus. The days of being dependent on the needs of others are over. He's following Jesus. Jesus met, yes, a a physical need in his sight, but Jesus gave him a whole new pattern of life. Like His life looks differently because of his receiving of Jesus' mercy and healing. To this man, for Jesus to to radically transform his life, his only response was, I'm going to follow him. He has changed everything for me. He's moved me from being blind to being able to see. My only appropriate response is I'm going to follow him. That's that's what he does. But he wasn't the only one that was affected by his healing. Because again, you read on, it says that um, immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. Verse 43, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So the transformation that happened in this man's life didn't just affect him, but affected all those who were witness to it. All those who saw it. Right? Now, Jesus was at work in, in more than just this man's life. Yes, he healed this man, but he's, he's got bigger purposes here. Right, and So what happens with the crowd? Did they end up following Jesus? We, we don't know. Right? Did this elicit a response of faith in them that that led to kind of transformation? We don't know. But we at least know that what happened in this blind man's life planted a seed for all those that were there that day. They saw it, and it says that they, they gave praise to God. Something happened, and they took notice. Something happened, and they took notice. So, cool story, right? But what do we do with it? Like, where does... Where does this miraculous event that happened outside of Jericho, uh, some two thousand years ago, like where does it intersect with your life today? That's really what we've got to get to, right? Otherwise, we're just storytelling. Okay, Um, and I'm glad you're asking that question because I've got a couple of questions to help you process that. All right, here here they are. First question: I got two questions. I kind of want to leave you with today. Here's the first one. Is what do you want Jesus to do for you? What do you want Jesus to do for you? The, the question that Jesus asked the blind man is the question that, that I think is presented to us. What do you want Jesus to do for you? And, and I don't mean that like like Aladdin genie in the bottle type thing. It's not what I'm talking about. all right like I want this car I want the, you know that's not what I mean, but I mean like is there Is there something in your life, an area in your life where like you just desperately need Jesus to do something? Is there an area in your life like brokenness that like you don't know what to do with? And you just need Jesus to do something. Right? Or I got some more examples here. I I tried to think broadly. Um, is there sin or addiction that, that you have like, you just cannot seem to conquer. You just need Jesus to bring some healing and some restoration. Is your your marriage or, or some other really important relationship, is it on the verge of falling apart? And you would just say, Jesus, I need you to do something here. Because I'm at my wit's end. Maybe Maybe it is physical healing. Maybe it's like the blind man. Maybe you... You have a physical need or, or ailment, and, and quite honestly, you're just exhausted by it. Or maybe it's not you, maybe it's a child or a family member, and you would just say, Jesus, I need you to do something here. I need you to heal, I need you to work, I need you to give me patience until we get some answers. Do you need the Lord to provide for you in some way? You've got a need that like, your resources just can't meet. You just need the Lord to provide, meet some need in your life. Or what about um, wisdom? Maybe you need wisdom. You've got some some situation, some scenario, maybe some big decision you've got to make. You're trying to lead your family. You're trying to run a business, whatever. You just need wisdom because you want to honor the Lord in in whatever that is. And you just say, Jesus, I need need wisdom this morning. Or maybe you're just plagued by anxiety. Right, just crippled by it. I mean, that's a real thing. If the last couple of years has shown us anything. It's a real thing. Right, you just need the Lord to, to alleviate, remove some of those things that just make you feel anxious all the time. And maybe you're depressed. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Right, what do you need Jesus to do for you? Or maybe you're here this morning and you've, you've never you never experienced the grace and mercy that's been extended to you through Jesus' life, death, resurrection. Maybe the request for you this morning is, Jesus, I need you to save me from my sin. I need to experience your grace and your mercy. I'm, I'm broken. I need you. Right, so, What do you need Jesus to do for you this morning? Because here's the good news. Like I said earlier, you don't have to come to Him shy. You don't have to come to Him reserved. You don't have to like, clean it or edit Clean or edit your requests to bring them to the feet of Jesus. You don't even have to have, like, you don't have to speak and pray with eloquence. If you can, good for you. You're smarter than the rest of us, okay? Like, you don't have to just bring it to the feet of Jesus because, man, Scripture says we come boldly and with confidence. We just lay our knees before Jesus. And say, Jesus, this is what I need. Would you meet me here in this place? I mean, it's, sometimes you don't even know the words to say, right? Anybody else ever been there? Just me? Okay, I'm getting a few head nods. Like sometimes praying is just like, Lord, I don't even know what words to say right now. I can't even put what I'm feeling into words, but you know, and so I bring it to you. The Romans teaches that the Spirit intercedes for us, so we don't even know like what words to say. We can just... Bring what we've got, and that'll be enough. That'll be enough. That's what we're invited to do. Here's, here's what... Um, I've referenced this book a lot. I can assure you that if uh, and this will not be the last time I reference it because it's incredible. This is what Dane Ortlund says in his book, Gentle and Lowly. He says, Jesus does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to Him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon, Uh, with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. It's what he came to heal. He went down into the horror of death and plunged out through the other side in order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. And then he goes on to say this. I love this. When you come to Christ for mercy and love and help in your anguish and your perplexity, And your sinfulness, you are not going with the you are going with the flow of his own deepest wishes, not against them. When you bring to Jesus, or when you bring to Jesus your your needs, your desires, your your sin, and you say, Jesus, I need you to work here. Let me tell you what, you're not gonna be met with. You're not gonna be met with Jesus saying, like, oh, you again? Right? Because when we bring those things to Jesus, what, what the book says and what the whole Bible would point you to is we bring those things to Jesus like we're going with the flow of what He came for. That's why we're invited to come with boldness and confidence. Because it's in our bringing our needs to Jesus, we're doing the exact thing He told us to do. Even if it's the 1,000th time. There's mercy and there's grace. So what do you need Jesus to do for you? That's the first question. Here's the second one Are you following Jesus? A simple question, right? Are you following Jesus? But I don't mean just like, are you a Christ follower? Because sometimes we separate those, those can be two different things in our minds. Like, we just, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower. I'm not asking if you're a Christ follower, I'm asking, are you following Jesus? And let me flesh that out a little bit. Um, the Bible uses this theme we've talked about this morning, blind, uh, the blind giving sight. It's just it's a metaphor for salvation. So what I'm really talking to here in this moment is those of you who would say, like, I have trusted in Jesus as my Savior. I'm saved. I'm a Christian. Whatever lingo you want to put on it. In the account that we just read, the blind man's healing led him to a, a different path of life. And his life just looked different because of a transformation that happened. And so my question is, is does you, if you're a follower of Jesus, like, does your life look different than what it did before? Now, I don't mean like you have to be perfect all of a sudden. I think the Bible would pretty clearly attest to the fact that we're going to wrestle with the sinful compulsions and desires of our flesh for as long as we live. But to be following Jesus should mean that that my life looks differently now than it did when I first believed. Right? Maybe you're not as far down the road as you wish you were. That's certainly my case, right? Probably most of us. I've found it. Here's what I found: that as you mature in the Christian faith, you just realize how not mature you are. <laughs> That's kind of my my. Uh, my journey in the Christian life, right? So, so my, but my point is this your life should look differently than it did when you first believed, right? Is as the Bible would say, um, we're called to be witnesses, right? Our lives that's what Acts 1 8, which was also written by Luke, by the way. Um, Jesus' disciples were told to be witnesses, right? And by implication, that's us. If we say, like, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian. Like we're to be witnesses. Our lives should witness to give witness to the truth that, that there's been a transformation that has happened. Right? Our, our, our lives should give witness to a transformation that has happened. Should should testify to the truth that Jesus is doing a work in us. Like we should be able to, to look at our lives and say, realistically, I'm not yet where I want to be. But praise God, I'm not where I used to be. Right? That's that's the story of, of transformation, sanctification. And, and so this blind man, his life looked differently because of this interaction with Jesus, and the same should be true of us. If we would say, I'm following Jesus, I'm a disciple of Jesus, then our life should just look differently. As To put it in the language of, uh, of the Bible, uh, you will know a tree by its fruit. If we're going to claim to be uh, kind of woven into the vine, as as Jesus says in John 15, like our lives should bear some fruit of that. The the evidence of transformation in our lives, um, I'm going to push on you a little bit this morning, all right? But I think it's a good thing. Our confidence in our relationship with Jesus is not just a prayer we prayed when we were six. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a prayer. I think it's a great starting point. But that's the, if that's the only thing you have to look to in your life, if there's no, no fruit, there's no growth, there's no transformation, then like, that should raise some red flags. So my point is, is, is just this. To go back to, to our story, we got a blind man who received sight. You know what he didn't do after he received his sight? He didn't walk around like he was blind anymore. If you're here this morning... You're a follower of Jesus. You've received your sight. You shouldn't walk around like you're blind anymore. All right, would you guys bow your heads real fast? Before we pray, all right, I'm going to ask a question. The question is just this. Very, very simple. Um, to go back to that first question, what do you need Jesus to do? What are you asking him to do? How many of you guys would just raise your hands as a testimony saying, I have a need that I need Jesus to meet in my life right now. Nobody's going to call you out. Nobody's going to ask. Hands all over the room. Incredible. So I'm just going to pray for you guys specifically. The Lord knows your needs. Then we're going to pray corporately. The band's going to come lead us in a song. If you want to respond by praying, you can come forward. If you want to pray there in your seat, we're just going to ask the Lord to meet these areas of need in our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning. We are thankful that you give sight to the blind. Lord, we're thankful that, um, Lord, that you ask us, you invite us to make our requests known to you. You invite us to come boldly with confidence. So Lord, uh, you saw the hands all over this room um, Lord, needs that that I I don't know. I don't know hardly any of them. But you do. You are sovereign. You are omniscient. You are all-knowing. Um, Lord, you, you discern our thoughts. Lord, even those that, that maybe didn't even raise their hand to, to testify to a need that they have, you would know the need, whether they raise their hand or not. And so my first prayer this morning is just that you would that you would meet those needs. Maybe there are needs were: we need comfort, we need physical healing, spiritual healing. Maybe we're, uh, Lord, just a need in our in our family or in our home, or need for your provision, a need for you to restore broken relationships, or whatever the need is. Pray that you would you would meet it, Father. If there's anyone here this morning that's never never trusted in Jesus alone for salvation, I pray that. That that's a need that you would begin to um, prompt them towards they would ask you for that that they would have the boldness to say'm I'm, I'm sinful I'm broken I can't save myself I need Jesus to save me and then father I for the rest of us what I pray that you would begin to help us to see and, and, and really ask ourselves these questions are we following you I'm mean, like are we really following you are we are we striving to walk by the Spirit, to put to death the, uh, the, the desires and the compulsions of our flesh? Are we seeking to grow in holiness and sanctification? Do our lives look differently now than they did uh, when we first believed? Lord, if, if our lives have not, uh, if they have not been consistent with what we claim to believe, I pray that you would convict us of that. And I pray that you would move us to repentance. And that you would lead us to follow you more faithfully in the days ahead. So Father, we love you. We ask now that your spirit would do what only your spirit can do. Comfort, convict, encourage, whatever the need is. Father, we ask that that's what you would do. We pray and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.